You're listening to the Church on the Move Roswell podcast. We hope this message inspires you, encourages you, and challenges you to take your next step with Jesus. Thanks for listening. Let's check it out. Go with me to John chapter 1, verse 1. You find out that Jesus has always been there, um, has always been present. He didn't just show up when he came to the earth. He has always been one with God. God has always been God the Father, and then he's God the Word, the spoken Word. And Jesus is the spoken Word. I always say it like this. If I could take a Bible and throw it on the ground and it would turn into a human being, it's Jesus Christ. He is the spoken Word of God made flesh. That's why you can't separate him from God. You can't separate God from his Word. And in John chapter 1, verse 1, it says, In the beginning was the Word, that's Jesus. And the Word, Jesus, was with God. And the Word, Jesus, was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him nothing was made that was made. The God spoke, He said, let there be, and there was. His spoken Word is Jesus. That's the power of the Word that God speaks. It's alive and powerful. It's alive and powerful. Then it says this, in him was life, (coughs) excuse me, and life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and darkness did not comprehend it. Darkness can never comprehend the light of God. It goes on to say in uh, verse 13, we'll actually start reading verse 12. It says in chapter John 1, But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God to those who believe in his name. Uh, In Romans it says, we cry out Abba. By the spirit of adoption, we cry out Abba, which means daddy, and we're adopted by God. How do you get adopted by God? Well, it's all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. It says right there, he gave us the right. He gave us the right. He gave us a right. You know, we always, in America, say, my rights, my rights. Well, you have a right to become a child of God. Jesus gave you the right. And he says this, uh, who believe in his name, who were born, not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And, be, and we beheld his glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Talking about Jesus. Jesus became flesh. We sing that song. God wouldn't, didn't want heaven without us, so he sent heaven to earth. That's Jesus. He sent him to come pay a debt that we owe, that we could not pay. I don't know if you've ever paid on anything a long period of time, and you get your statement in the mail, and you're like, man, surely this has moved. And you look at it, and you're like, man, $2. What have I been paying all this time for? And you look at the interest. You've been paying all that interest. You're like, man, that principle has not moved. No matter what mankind has done, all through the centuries or will ever do, only pays the interest. It'll never pay the principle. What's the debt? The debt of sin. Sin, once it entered the world, we owed a debt to God, and the debt had to be paid with, paid with perfection. Had to be paid with perfection. Here's the thing I love about God. In John 3.16, most of us know this verse. Some of you might not. It says, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten. Now, that only begotten part sounds real religious, but it just means Jesus is one of a kind. 
There will ne- there's never been anyone like him before, and there'll never be anyone like him ever. What, is, what does it mean, God's only begotten? It means that God himself planted the seed in the egg of a woman. That it wasn't two human beings. It says in John 1, two human beings didn't create Jesus. It was one human being, Mary, and then God himself, by the Spirit, by his Spirit, planted the seed in the egg. That, that way, Jesus could be fully God and fully man. Both. Because in order to pay the price for sin, it was going to take perfection. God is perfect and he demands perfection. And we couldn't offer it to him. So he made a way for us. I said he made a way. You know, God is a spirit. So he he couldn't just come in the spirit. And Adam was a man. And so he couldn't just, uh, a man couldn't satisfy. Somehow, God the spirit had to be in God uh, or uh, a created man. That's why in the Bible you'll hear him called the Son of Man, and then you'll also hear him called the Son of God, because he's both. It had to be both. In Romans 1, it says that he came to save us from justice and the punishment that we deserve. You know, when people commit a crime, we we want justice, right? We want justice for crimes. We want justice. Everybody wants justice. And because mankind had sinned through Adam, and let me tell you this, all of us have sinned. You're born of Adam and Eve just like I am. We're all connected. That's why racism makes zero sense. We all have the same great, 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 great. I can't do all the greats. We all have all those great grandparents. Their name is Adam and and her name was Eve. We're all from the same group. Even science has concluded that because of our DNA strands, they've concluded we're all from one male and one female. That's why it makes no sense to judge others by the color of their skin when they're your brother and they're your sister by birth. By birth. So there was a crime committed, it's called sin, and it demands justice. And the punishment for sin is to be dominated by sin in this life, to be controlled by it. So many, even people in this room and people watching online, by the way, welcome to Easter service. Man, you've been controlled by sin. How do you know you're controlled? You can't say no to it. You can't say no to your depression. You can't say no to your, your, uh, your, all the insecurities in your life, the fears, the worries. You can't say no to, to this addiction, this thing you're addicted to. You can't say no to this person that is controlling you, manipulating you. You just can't say no. But those things draw you, pull you, drive you. The spirit of grief drives you. The spirit of lust drives you. Lust for this, lust for that. And it's never satisfied. The spirit of anger might be driving you. And it's dominating your life. Jesus came to set you free from that. He came to set you free. You don't have to be dominated by that sin or controlled by it anymore. Well, Pastor Troy, will I ever sin again? You you probably will, but you won't be driven by it, controlled by it. You'll have to make a decision. Because God will put you back in control of your choices. That's why he's a God of liberty, a God of freedom. He gives you a choice. And until you accept him as Lord, you're being controlled and you really are. You think you're choosing, you're not. It's chosen for you. It's driving you, you're not driving it. That's the the, uh, deception of sin, like I'm in charge of this. No, you're not. 
Try to say no to it. See who's in charge. See who's in charge. Thank God he sent, he loves us so much he sent Jesus. So the price is a controlled life of sin, trying to pay the interest, but trying to balance out good versus bad in your life or giving to a charity or helping a, a little old lady across the street, trying to balance this thing out and you can never get it balanced. All you do is you pay a little interest, but the principle will not move. And then the other part of the justice that's demanded is that when we die, we, if you die in your sin, you deserve eternal death. That's, the, that's just, that's right, that's fair. But Jesus came to pay the debt. How do I know that? Well, he tells us in John chapter 19, verse 30. How did he tell us? You're going to find out. This word here that is used is, is not what most people think it is. In 19 verse 30, Jesus is on the cross. So when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. And bowing his head, he gave up his spirit. He died. To die means that your spirit is separated from your physical body. To have eternal death, that means your spirit is separated from God. He died. His spirit was separated from his body. But he said something really powerful before that. He said, it is finished. That is a Greek word, and it's only one word. I probably mispronounced it, but you don't know I did. It's teletasia. Teletasia, and it's just one word. We say it in three English words. We say it is finished. It's one word in the Greek, and it's more of a word of victory, not defeat. It's like if I owed Pastor Sean some, some money and I went and paid him and he took a stamp out and said, paid in full. I don't walk out of there going, darn, I'm, I feel bad I paid that off. I'm like, woohoo, I paid that off. Right? Any of you that's ever paid off your house, you're like, I own my house, man, paid in full. And we make sure that we get that stamp. We make sure it's paid in full. Because if they send you another bill, you call them right up. Right? I say call. You probably get on the computer and start typing. I paid this bill. I don't owe you any money. So what it means, it is finished means it's paid in full. Paid in full. When they would make financial tr transactions because there was a debt paid, they would walk out of there victorious like, yes, I paid this in full. This is awesome. It's paid for. I own it. Jesus wasn't saying he wasn't hanging on the cross going, going, oh, oh, it's, it's finished. I'm so sad. No, he's like, it is finished. I paid it in full. It's victory. It's victory. Paul later writes, he said, I've run the race. I finished my course. He wasn't saying that down and out. He's saying, man, I've done all God's called me to do. I finished this race. He, he, he connects it to a race uh, that he would see in the Olympics because he watched the Olympics. And he, Paul used a lot of sports analy uh, uh, analysis uh, when he described things in the Word. And he's like, he's saying, I crossed the finish line. I broke the tape. I finished, and I'm going to heaven. This is a victory, not a defeat. And for those of you who know Jesus Christ as your Lord, we're going to say one day it is finished. I think I'll put that on my tombstone. It is finished. I ran my race. I'm in heaven. 
Don't cry for me. Celebrate. Come to know Jesus and come see me. I'll have you at my house for 100,000 years. I'll have you over. We can hang out. There is no night in heaven, so we can just hang out, man. We just hang out the whole time. But it is finished is what he said, and it's powerful. And, he, and he's concluding a transaction. The Bible teaches us that he became sin for us. He didn't just put on sin. He became sin. The price of the debt that we all owe was that Jesus had to become sin for us. It is written, everybody that's hung on a tree is cursed. He had to become the curse for us, the curse of sin. So we had to suffer and pay the price and die for our sins to pay that price, to pay the debt, to conclude the transaction. Someone had to do it. And he lived 33 years on this planet and that someone had to be a man like Adam but had to be perfect like God. That's Jesus. He had to be sinless. He lived 33 years on the planet. Went through his teenage years without sin. Went through his 20s without sin. Went into his 30s without sin. Went to the cross without sin. He was tempted higher than you and I will ever be tempted. He was offered the entire planet, every kingdom, every, everything you could touch, smell, drink, do. And he turned it down. He turned it down because he was sinless and perfect. And he said, I only do the things that please the Father. He said, I only do the will of the Father. And because he was perfect, he could finally meet God's demand. The debt that had to be paid was perfection. And we could never reach it. But Jesus did. And when he walked through the door, when he walked through the door into heaven with his blood and said, my perfect blood has, has paid the price. God stamped our debt, paid in full, and Jesus left the door open. So anybody, anybody that wants to go to heaven, anybody that wants to be free from sin in this life and actually live a life on purpose instead of by accident, with some life inside of you, that door's wide open. Jesus opened it and said, I am the door. No one comes to the Father except through me. He opened it wide, said, come on in. Everybody, come on in. But there's going to come a day that he's going to walk over and close the door. The story of the ten virgins says that five were prepared and five were not. And the five that were prepared went into the wedding feast. And this is an example of the end of time. And he said, once they entered in, they closed the door. The other five came running and said, we're ready now, and banged on the door. And they said, this door cannot be opened. For it is written in Revelations, Jesus opens doors no man can close and closes doors no man can open. And you never want that door shut on you. When you breathe your last breath in this life, if you have not accepted Jesus Christ as Lord, that door will be locked. We sing that song, as long as I'm breathing, there's hope. You're breathing right now, there's hope for you. There's hope for you. And when you stop breathing or Jesus splits that sky in half and comes back for us, that door will be shut and locked. You will not get in. And here's the thing that I, 
I realized yesterday, I was ministering at a funeral yesterday, and, and this thought came to me. I was reading in Revelations chapter 20 in the great judgment where everybody, every human being that's ever existed on the planet, the Bible says the great and the small, uh, people that everybody know, like, like knows Abraham Lincoln, people throughout history, Genghis Khan, Khan uh, you name the historical figure, man, woman, or, or young person, they, they're all gathered, people that will know their name and people like us that no one will, they'll be like, I don't know them, I don't know them, but I know Abraham Lincoln. Right? They'll recognize. And he said he's going to gather all the people. And he said the first thing he does is he opens up books. Books, plural. I don't know if you realize, but in heaven there's a book with your name on it. There's a book with your name on it. And there's two types of judgment that are going to happen in that moment. The first one that takes place is the judgment on people who rejected the love, the mercy, and the goodness of God. And I always wondered, what are they going to read to them? Are they going to remind them of how many sins they committed? What, what would be the point of that? They're already condemned. And the thought came to me that, no, it's going to be the opportunities like this. And because God got a justice, he's going to prove his case. He's going to say, I showed up this Sunday on Easter and I ministered to you and I offered you my lordship and you said no. And when you were five, your mom took you to church and you said no. And when you were 13, you thought, man, I got to live this vida loco life. I got to live this life. I got to be out here in the world. I got to be a teenager. I'm the only one, young ones. Let's do all the sin we can. Let's do all the partying we can. Let's do all this we can. And you think that's all that it's about. And God's going to show you. When you were 13, I offered you my mercy. I offered you my love. And you said no. He's going to show you your grandmother praying for you that prayed for you for years and you heard her voice when you were doing something and you were about to do something wrong that would cost you and you heard, you heard her prayers uh, reach God's ear and God spoke and said, don't do that, do this. And all those times that God spoke to you, all those times God gave you an opportunity at this place, in this place, in that Christian kid you knew in high school, in that Christian you knew at work, in that lady who you always said, man, there's something about her, but you never asked. All those moments that God spoke to you and reached to you and said, I love you, I love you, I love you. Every good thing that ever happened in your life is a gift from God, and he spoke to you through it. When you looked at the stars, he spoke and said, I am God. When you looked at the animal kingdom, he spoke, I am God. When you looked at the plant kingdom, he spoke and said, I am God. When you looked in the mirror, he said, I am God. He said it. I am God. I love you. I want to reach you. I want to save your life. I paid the debt. I stamped it. It is paid in full. Will you not receive it? Will you not ask me? Just ask me to forgive you, and I will because I already stamped it. I already said yes. The Bible says all his promises are yes. You ask him to forgive you, he will. You ask him to be the Lord of your life, and he will. But he will not make you. He will not force you. He will not demand it from you. He's just going to offer it over and over and over again. And for those that have already accepted Jesus Christ as the Lord of their life, that day of judgment is not going to be a day of guilt or innocence because Jesus' blood has already paid the price for our guilt, our shame, our sin. We're already innocent. 
We're going to stand before God, and those books are going to open. It's going to say, Pastor Sergio, man, I got some crowns for you and some rewards for you, and I got this for you, and I got that for you. And we're going to receive the rewards of serving God in this life. And they're going to be great and forever. Great and forever. There's seven crowns that he gives out. I'm going to reach for all seven. I'm going to be crowned. I'll tilt it to the, little, to the side so I got a little street in me, just a little. Maybe wearing backwards, you know. Just to have a little cool to it, right? But there's rewards for those. And then he says in the next chapter, he said one of the first things he does after all this has taken place and those that have rejected his love, his mercy, that are cast, they're thrown into the lake of fire. Listen, that's going to be the saddest moment in the history of the universe is that those people who rejected God's mercy, God's love, God's freedom, God's forgiveness will be cast by the angels. They will not walk to it. They will not want to go. They'll understand it's just and it's right. All of us will know it's just. All of us, all of us will know it's right because the books will have been read over each individual life and the angels will cast them into the lake of fire. We will walk into heaven in the first thing he does is he dries our tears because it will there'll be a great welling there'll be a great welling you'll you'll if you make it man and you didn't do anything to help anybody make it you'll cry you'll say golly I spent all my time one of my ushers leaned up and said how come every Sunday it's not this packed and I said because people get distracted a distraction that word comes from when they would tie two uh uh, uh, an elephant to someone's feet and an elephant to someone's hands and rip them apart. Man, people's just so distracted. And man, people are gonna weep over all the distractions, over all the things they put before God in eternal life, in eternal death. And guys, people are gonna, we're gonna cry tears over loved ones and friends that we did tell, that we did invite, that we did pray for, that said no, 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 no. And some people say heck no. And we're gonna grieve for them. But then it says God will dry our tears the next verse says, we will not cry ever again. That will be over. I thank God. It's going to be supernatural because it says Jesus dries our tears. It's going to have to be a supernatural moment for us to stop crying. But we will, and we'll spend an eternity in heaven having a good time, feasting on the goodness of God forever. We won't be playing harps and floating on a cloud. We'll be discovering the rest of this universe because the, the new Jerusalem is just the capital of heaven. It says it comes down from heaven. We're never going to stop discovering. We're going to discover for, forever. We're going to discover this and this and that and what God made here. We don't know any other dimensions that God, we live in a dimension. We know there's a spiritual dimension. There's no telling how many dimensions God has made. They talk about five dimensions and six dimensions. There's no telling what we're going to discover, what we're going to experience, but it's going to be good. It's going to be God and we're going to love it and we're going to have the time of our life forever in heaven. And that door's open right now. So on Good Friday, we call it Good Friday because Jesus said it is finished. He paid our price. That's why we don't call it Sad Friday or Bad Friday. We call it Good Friday. He thought it was good too. Not good that he had to suffer for our sins and die, but good because he paid the price for our sin in full. In full. 
So, man, if, if you know, you, you pay for something, you want a receipt. I know my wife, she's always like, where's the receipt? I don't know where the receipt is. I lost it. I put it in that pocket. She said, you mean the pants that I washed? Yeah, that, that receipt right there. <laughs> always asking me for receipts. You know, and there's certain things I, I'm like, get a receipt for that. Make sure they stamp that. Make sure we get that. You know, you pay off your car, you want that title. You want that paperwork stamp paid in full, and you want the title. And you want to take their name. You want to take everybody's name off the title except your name. You're like, I own this. So what's the receipt? What's the difference between Buddha, Muhammad, all the Hindu gods of trees and rocks and cows and reincarnation and all this other stuff? Let me tell you the difference. Because Jesus gave us a receipt. He said, I'm going to give you a receipt so you know this is paid in full. It's called the resurrection from the dead. That's it. Well, we celebrated Easter. And in John chapter 20, uh, Peter and John are running. They find out from some women that, hey, the tomb has been rolled, the, the stone has been rolled away, the tomb is empty, Jesus' body's gone. We don't know. You know, an angel told us this, and they don't believe him. So Peter and John take off running to, to look at the tomb. And in verse 6, it says, Then Simon Peter came, following him, uh, and went into the tomb, and he saw the linen cloth lying there. Right before that, John had looked in but didn't go in. He saw the cloth, but he didn't go in the tomb. Why didn't John go in? John didn't go in because it was a death sentence to go into a place that the Romans had sealed and guarded. If that seal had been broken and you went in without permission, it was a death sentence. So John stayed out. He's like, I'm looking in here, but I'm not going in there. But Peter, he's like, hold on a second. His clothes are in here. What clothes? His burial clothes. And there's a reason why that's in the Bible. It's not just to say, hey, man, he left some clothes behind. That's not why. Burial clothes, they wrapped you in linen. And it, it describes what they did. They wrapped him in linen, and they wrapped you like a mummy. They wrapped you like a mummy. And then they put 80 to 100 pounds of spices and stuff on his body. It, that, those spices combined turn into like a glue. You are, you are like sealed like a, in a cocoon or something. Man, you're, it's, you're tight. It's tight, and it's wrapped and, it, and all that weight, 80 to 100 pounds of this like glue, and they glue and seal their bodies inside the, the wrappings where they're totally preserved. And they put Jesus in that tomb like that. And so when John saw the claws, he's like, what are they doing laying like this? And Pete saw him and said, I, I don't care if they kill me. I'm going to go look. And he went over and looked because it's dark in that tomb. And he's looking at the grave clothes, and they're perfect. They're perfect. The one wrapped around his face is still wrapped like it was wrapped around his face. All the rest of those, those claws are all connected except the one on the face. It's different. They're all perfectly folded. They're all perfect exactly how they were. There's no rips. There's no tears. There's no cuts. There's no way out except... You rise from the dead and go right through them. That's the only way out. So this is what happens. Verse 7, and the handkerchief that had been around his head, not lying with the linen cloth, but folded together in a place by itself. Then the other disciple who came to the tomb first, 
You notice that Peter said he beat John, uh, or John said he beat Peter? Typical man, he throws that in there. He's writing this. He's like, I just want to let you know, by the way, historically, I'm faster than Peter, and I beat him here. (laughs) Typical guy thing, right? He said, went in also. He finally went in, and he saw and believed. There was nothing else to believe. He saw Jesus wrapped. John was the one, if you remember, he was the one at the foot of the cross. He verified Jesus was dead. He helped them wrap him and put all that stuff on him and put him in the tomb. That's why Peter walked away like freaking out and John walked away in total belief because he's looking at these grave clothes and they're in perfect order. They're perfectly intact. Not one thread out of place, all intact, covered with this glue and they're sitting perfectly as, as they laid and Jesus is gone. He's gone. And he said, Oh, my goodness. He told us he was coming back. He said, oh, happy Easter, Bunny. No, he didn't. (laughs) He said, praise the Lord, man. He has risen. He believed. He was the first one to believe. So the receipt, the proof, the stamped, that you guaranteed it's paid is the resurrection. In Acts chapter one, we have a couple more verses we're gonna look at, man, because God proves out the history of and the, the truth of his Bible, his book, the word of God. In Acts chapter one, verse three, actually we'll read, start reading in verse two. I can find, there it is. It says, until the day in which he was taken up, after through the Holy Spirit had given commandments to the apostles whom he had chosen, to whom he also presented himself alive. Everybody say alive. After his suffering by many infallible proofs. Jesus is like, I'm gonna prove to you I did it. I'm gonna prove to you I was raised from the dead. Check out the scars. They could see right through his hands. They could see through his feet. He wasn't bleeding. He wasn't hurt. They saw the scar. The st- they saw the spear that went through his side. The, the scar was still there. The, it was still open. He, they could see it, but there was no blood. They could tell he was alive. And the Roman soldiers, he wasn't asleep. He wasn't just passed out. They made sure he was dead. They said, we got to make sure he dies. So they stabbed him. They were perfectionists at killing. They made sure he was dead. Now he's showing them. He's showing them, he's walking through walls like, you can't do that. He's eating meals with them. He's doing all kinds of supernatural stuff around them. And they're going, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, he's alive, he's alive, he's alive. He says, he also prevented himself alive from his suffering by many infallible proofs, being seen by them during 40 days and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. He hung out with them for 40 days. He just appeared and disappeared and hung out for 40 days. He ate meals with them. He's like, I'll show you that I'm fully, I fully raised from the dead, body, soul, and spirit. I'm gonna eat something with you. Spirits can't eat, but I can. And he would eat with them. And he showed them over and over again. I once was dead and now I'm alive. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, 1 Corinthians, man, if that's not Jesus calling, shut that phone off, please. 1 Corinthians chapter 14, I don't think he'd call right now. 
He's calling, but not on the cell phone. He says in verse 3, For I delivered to you, first of all, that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. This is Paul. And that he was buried. And then he rose again on the third day according to the Scriptures. He died on Friday, rose on Sunday. And he was seen by Cephas, then by the twelve. After that, he was seen by over 500 brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain to the present, but some have fallen asleep. Jesus appeared to over 500 people. Now, all of you know Abraham Lincoln existed, not because you ever met him or saw him. You didn't see any film footage of him. Saw a picture, but that could be in anybody. But you know who he is because history told you. History is telling us Jesus Christ not only died, but he raised. He was raised from the dead. He rose from the dead. Over 500 people witnessed him after he rose from the dead. Now, if I go to court with you and you, you got your opinion, you're going to testify on your behalf, and I bring over 500 people to testify against you, I'm telling you right now, you're going to lose. Some of you think, well, I don't, I don't believe that. Well, you cannot believe it. But over 500 people saw him raised from the dead. But that's not the only proof. There's more proof. If this, is, if this is not touching your heart, then you're not opening up to the Holy Spirit. You need to open up to the Holy Spirit. Let him minister to you right now. Because he's trying to save some people's lives in this room, maybe yours. This is also proof. Peter not only saw an empty tomb, guarded by Romans, sealed by a Roman seal, two-ton boulder rolled in front of it. He not only witnessed all those guards gone, the seal broken. Listen, as a Roman guard, if you're guarding something, and anything happens to a prisoner, anything you guard, automatic death sentence. They leaned you over, stuck a sword right in the back of your neck and killed you. You were dead. For those soldiers to be gone, for those soldiers to have not guarded his body, death sentence. To break a Roman seal, death sentence. Take something the Romans said not to take, death sentence. So for Peter to show up and all of that has happened, then he sees the empty tomb, he sees the grave clothes in perfect condition, no way out. Then Peter, who just day, days, excuse me, days before said to, a, to somebody, I don't know Jesus. Then to a little girl, a little girl twice said to him, you, you're, you know, you, I saw you traveling with him. You were with him. She, he said, I don't know him. I'm telling you right now, I don't know that man. And then she spots him again and says, Peter, I know you. I'm telling you, I recognize you. You know him. He not only says, I don't know him. He crosses to the other side where the people cried, give us Jesus, kill Jesus, and says, I'm telling you right now, I don't blankety blank, 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 no Jesus. He gives in to the current culture and the attitude towards Jesus and cusses and says, I don't know him. How is that proof? Because just a few days later, he stands up in front of those same people he was so scared of. That he was scared of a little girl. He stands up in front of all of them, knowing that his life could be taken and he could be crucified. And he says, something's happened that's changed me. And they're like, what? He said, well, I saw the miracles. That didn't change me. I saw him die on the cross. That didn't change me. 
But when I saw him come back from the dead, that changed me. He's alive. And he came to save your life. That's the testimony. Then we have Paul. Paul was a crucifier of the church. He wanted to stamp out Christianity. You might know some people, they want to get rid of Christianity. New York Times just wrote uh, uh, an op-ed that said, hey, it's about time on Easter we kill God and kill off Christianity and kill off Jesus. That was Paul. Paul would have wrote that. Let's kill Jesus. Because he went around trying to kill Jesus. He said it was his goal to wipe out the mention of Jesus' name. That no one would ever talk about Jesus ever again in history. That no one would ever speak his name. He wanted to wipe out Christianity. He wanted to wipe out Jesus' name. And then one day, he's back among those same people who gave him permission. The same people who he was imprisoning. The same people. He orphaned their children. He took them and had them killed. And their children were made orphans. In front of those same people, he showed his face unashamedly and said, I'm sorry for what I've done, but I met the risen Lord on a road, and he's alive. And I got to tell you, my heart has changed. I saw my brother, I saw him change so radically in three weeks. I'm like, something's happened. I thought he joined a cult. So I was anti-Christian cult. And I went to church anti-Christian cult. I went there to break it up. I went there to get him out of it. I was hung over as hung. I smelled like a brewery. And I'm sitting in the back, and I hear about Jesus. And I'm just like Paul. I'm anti I'm anti-Jesus till I met the risen Jesus. You can't have a living faith in a dead man. No one can change a life the way Jesus changed a life. Dead people don't change people's lives. Look around the room. His grace retold our story. His grace changed our life. I can't imagine what my story would have been, but I know it had probably been already over. I'd have never made it to 59. And you were thinking, golly, he looks young for 70. (laughs) I'd have never made it here. But when you meet the living, resurrected Jesus, he resurrects your life. He changes your life. Just like he's changed so many lives in this room. So he paid the price on Good Friday. He gave us a receipt on Sunday that it's real, it's finished, it's over, and I'm alive. Now, what do you do? You have a choice to make. You have a decision to make. Is Jesus Christ the only way to God? Did Jesus die for your sins? Did he pay your price? Has he risen from the dead? How many of you have seen people radically changed? Man, people like Peter and Paul and me and some of you in this room, that you can't be radically changed by any old thing. Some of you were bigger skeptics than I was. But when you met him and you realized he's alive, it changed you. And everyone in this room knows somebody that's been touched by the living God. He's alive. So what's your choice? What's your decision? What are you going to do? You can today, here or online, you can say, okay, all right, I believe it. I believe he he died. I believe he paid the price. 
for my sin. And I believe he was raised from the dead. And I accept him as the Lord. The only way to the Father. I'm walking through the door. I'm going to receive the freedom that comes in this life. That sin can't. Sin's not going to dominate me anymore. My insecurities, my depression, my anger, my grief, my sadness, my fears, my worries, my stresses, my always feeling that I don't live up to this or I can't do this or I'm, I'm not this person or that person. All my jealousy, all my envy, all this junk I want out of my life. I want to live on purpose. I want to know why I was created. I want to know what God, why God created me and I want to live out that purpose. I want to finish. I want to break the tape. I want to experience all the life that only a living God can give you. Only he can do it. And if that's you, we want to pray with you right now. We're not going to put it off till tomorrow. Not going to put it off till you're hunting Easter eggs or eating turkey or ham or whatever, enchiladas, whatever you're eating today. Not going to put it off. We're going to pray right now if you want to, but it's your choice. You get to decide. What are you going to do? What are you going to do with this Jesus? You have to make a decision about who he is. And man, we all hope, all of us that met the living God, the resurrected Jesus, hope you meet him today because he is alive. He is alive and he wants to save your life right now. So whether it's your first time you've never prayed, I, that's how I was when I was 18. I had never prayed. I had never prayed once my whole life. First time I ever prayed, I accepted Jesus Lord and he began to rewrite my story. You know, it's amazing. He wrote, rewrote David's story at 13. He rewrote Jeremiah's story as a teenager too. He rewrote Daniel, the great prophet Daniel, the great prophet Jeremiah, when they were all teenagers. Mary was a teenager, rewrote her story. Almost all the apostles were teenagers. He rewrote all their stories. It's amazing what he does with teenagers, how he reaches them. He rewrote my story when I was 18. He rewrote my story. I'm so glad he did. Then you got, you got Abraham. He was 75. You got Moses. He was 80. Doesn't matter what age you are, what you've done. Jesus not only paid the price for your sin, but he paid, paid the price for shame and guilt, condemnation. He paid the price for all of it. He wants to wipe it all out today. Today. So if you never prayed, let's pray. Let's pray. And I'm not going to ask you to pray that you just go to heaven. You have to accept him as the Lord. You have to say, okay, you are Jesus the Christ, the Lord Jesus Christ. You're king and priest and you died and you rose from the dead and you are the boss of my life. I gladly and freely give you my life. He'll take things and do stuff with it you never dreamed. I never thought I'd be doing this. Oh, neither did anybody else that knew me. <laughs> they still laugh to this day. God did. God knew. He's got a plan for you too. Listen, every eye closed here and online. If you've never prayed, let's pray now. 
Or maybe you've prayed and you've run away, walked away. Easter was a good time to come back to church. It was the perfect time. And you just need to pray and get some things right with your Father. So whether it's your first time or your next time, let's pray right now. Online, I'm going to ask you right now. There's only two things we're going to ask you to do online. I'm going to ask you to send a message to us saying, I'm praying for the first time, I'm praying for the next time. In this room, I'm only going to ask you to do two things too. The first one is on the count of three, I'm going to ask you just to raise your hand up and say, it's me. It's me. I need to pray. I need to get right with God. So I ask you to do that, and then right where we're seated, uh, right where we're seated, uh, right where we're sitting. Sorry, to speak for a living. Right where, right where we are sitting, we will pray. Right where you're at. Online, pray right where you're at. Whether it's Sunday or Monday or Tuesday, you're watching. Pray right where you're at. That's it. Those two simple things. So if that's you and you want to pray and get right with God before you leave here today, this is your moment. This is your time. Online, send the message here. One, two, three. Just put your hand up high and put it down quickly. Say it's me all over this room. Thank you, 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 thank you. Wow, thank you, thank you. Wow, wow. Oh, my goodness. How many more? You should have raised your hand. Go ahead. Thank you, thank you, thank you. I won't leave you out. Thank you in the back. Thank you over there. Thank you, thank you, thank you. There's destiny, there's destinies happening right here. Listen, my father did not give his life to Jesus when I was growing up. And so when I did and my brothers did, we changed generations of my family. Generations. We're on our third generation. Some of my brothers on their fourth generation of smothermans that know Jesus because of their decision. Listen, some of you men, some of you women, you're making generational decisions. What will you pass down? The curse of sin's dominant domination over your children and death? Or will you pass down forgiveness and life and freedom and eternal life? You choose today. You're making, some of you are making generation. some of you teenagers are making generational decisions to say, no more is my family going to be alcoholics or this or that or another thing. I'm going to serve God. Some of you are going to say, my parents serve God, my grandparents serve God, and I'm going to serve God. You're making a generational decision. How many more of you want to raise your hand and say, I'm going to get this right with God today. Go ahead and do it now. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, thank you. Anybody else? All right, let's pray now. Let's all pray together. Those online and those here, let's all pray together. Say this, say, God, come on. God, I believe you are God in God alone. And I believe you sent Jesus. He died on a cross. He paid my price. For my sin. And I believe you raised him from the dead. And he's alive. And you are the only, the one and only living God. I believe it. And because I do, I ask that you forgive me by the blood of Jesus for all of my sins. And I receive your forgiveness. And I say to you, Jesus, you are the Lord Jesus Christ of my life. 
And I receive the Holy Spirit that lives in me now, that gives me liberty, freedom, hope, and help the rest of my life. Who opens up doors of blessings so I can be a blessing. That breaks generational curses so I pass down generational blessings. Thank you for saving my life. In Jesus' name, so be it. Amen. Come on. Happy Easter. He is risen. Thanks for listening today. If you'd like to find out more about Church on the Move, like our service times, or how you can connect with us, you can visit cotmroswell.com.